0: Welcome to the Littler Artificial Intelligence Robotics and Data Podcast. Conversations about employers integrating robotics, AI systems, big data, and analytics into their workplaces in the United States and worldwide. On behalf of Littler Mendelssohn's AI
1: Robotics and Automation Practice Group and Littler's firm wide AI and Robotics Initiative, welcome. I am Gary Mathiasen, a senior partner at Littler Mendelssohn and founder and co-chair of our AI Robotics and Automation Practice Group. I am privileged to be joined today by Dr. Valerie Morna, founder and CEO of Intelligent Story. She's a French professor originally, so you can expect an accent which is charming. The company is based in San Francisco specializing in AI transformation and emerging technology design. Valerie is extraordinary. She's multidisciplinary. That ranges from award-winning photography to expert design of AI systems for business. Valerie is an experienced executive, a professor, an AI strategist, an interactive and immersive design leader with 20 years of experience and has worked in 20 interconnected industry verticals. She received her doctorate from the Sorbonne University, summa cum laude, was certified by MIT in the Sloan School of Management in AI machine learning and business, deep learning, neural networks, natural language processing, computer vision, robotics and business. She was appointed innovation strategy consultant to the president and Minister of Public Finance and Digital Economy in New Caledonia. After spearheading the digital innovation in the South Pacific, she moved to my town, San Francisco, five years ago, where she served as the CIO and Head of Interactive Innovation, focusing on healthcare and technology startups. She then founded Intelligent Story, to help leaders and organizations drive value from AI and machine learning with ethically aligned strategies and diverse teams. And I think that's gonna become very important as we go through this material. For the past several months, Valerie and I have been in consultation with a team of Littler attorneys and have been developing a legal and ethical compliance roadmap for the adoption and organizational deployment of AI powered HR systems and applications. Well, this is a work in progress and far more extensive and detailed than we could ever cover in 20 to 30 minutes. Five essentials have emerged, which will be highlighted during this podcast. And I think you're going to get a lot of practical takeaways from what we're about to present. To place these five essential enablers in context, the AI-driven re-engineering of HR is inevitable and brings major benefits to the organization and its workers. In 2018, Bain & Company surveyed 500 HR executives in Germany, Britain, and the United States, showing that 54% were using at least one application of an AI-powered HR system and projected that that number would increase to 74% by 2020. Valerie, what is the first essential strategic step companies need to take to succeed in their AI transformation?
0: Gary, the foundational step is to devise an AI adoption strategy. Companies should implement the core drivers of AI adoption along with the capabilities that support scaling with AI. And in a context like this one, mindset is a pivotal driver of AI adoption, which makes change management, learning and development, and company culture top priorities. It starts with workforce education and a corporate culture entirely redesigned around fostering AI adoption. Most companies adopting AI actually fail to realize its potential value at scale, precisely because they do not have an adoption strategy. Only 8% of companies adopting AI truly capture its value at scale. And those who succeed heavily invested initiatives supportive of a strategic adoption of AI, particularly in initiatives like AI education and AI readiness. So, Gary, you mentioned earlier that 54% of companies had deployed at least one AI-powered HR system, and this trend should rise up to 74% by 2020. This is consistent with the fact that 69% of HR departments report getting significant value from AI. And this is a very positive signal given the influence of HR over culture and people's development. And I would say that HR is actually ideally positioned to proactively support AI adoption at scale. Finally, HR will also play a defining role in the ethical, diverse, and inclusive implementation of AI throughout the organization.
1: Valerie, that's very consistent with what we see and experience at Littler.
0: Yes, and let me dive now a little bit more into AI executive education and how it enables adoption and scaling with AI. We know that a successful organizational deployment of AI is always the result of a coordinated AI strategy led from the top. And on one hand, the C-suite plays a critical role in the adoption of AI, while on another, 75% of leaders lack the necessary knowledge to elaborate a safe AI strategy and scale with AI. And this is where HR can launch AI executive education programs that will support leaders in gaining mastery over AI capabilities. And this really empowers them with practical ways of fostering AI-driven thinking, trusting AI-generated insights, and core practices that accelerate AI adoption.
1: Apart from leadership, Valerie, what about the employees of the organization? How do they fit into this puzzle?
0: You make a very good point, Gary. The other foundational driver is culture, and deploying an AI-ready workforce starts with redesigning corporate culture around AI readiness. Organizations must foster an AI-ready culture by which data-driven thinking is valued in every department, and AI is positioned as a trustworthy business partner. today, in companies that adopted AI in a way or another, only 8% of frontline workers really embed AI into formal decision-making or processes. And only 16% of employees say that they can trust AI-generated insights.
1: Yeah, Valerie, I was really shocked to learn that the lack of confidence and this lack of AI readiness, really a cultural defect within the organization, or not so much a defect as a culture that's unattended and unprepared for the use of AI, is more responsible for AI failure than anything associated with the technology itself.
0: You're right. And that's why increasing employees' interactions with AI and building trust in AI is so important. Uh, and that's something that HR can really lead in focusing their efforts on learning and development initiatives and deploying workforce risk programs that truly focus on meaningful interactions between the workforce and AI technologies. And that can be achieved with AI readiness initiatives that empower employees, particularly in harnessing the value of data-driven predictions. Okay,
1: we've covered a first essential,
0: educational readiness,
1: AI readiness, dealing with the culture. Let's look at a second essential. How are organizational shifts essential for the success of AI implementation?
0: Well, I I would say that a very essential step for companies is to move from siloed teams to cross-functional collaboration. And we know from experience that the probability of success and relevancy of AI solution is is actually heightened when teams are cross-functional and composed of multidisciplinary talent. And this is even truer When we're talking about AI teams. And so I would recommend actually that HR and business leaders collaborate end to end on AI solutions with data scientists and machine learning engineers, but also with user experience designers, psychologists, socioeconomic experts, legal and applied ethics experts. And because HR is at the forefront of workforce upskilling and talent acquisition, they can really play a pivotal role in designing tailored AI teams. AI has the power to impact people's lives in significant ways and and it will impact the world in significant ways. And to address this impact and build ethical and high-performing AI systems, AI teams must be diverse and they must comprise of multi-disciplinary talent And in that realm, HR can be very influential in enacting diversity by design using recruiting systems that automatically address the lack of diversity in AI teams, for instance. So there are many solutions and many opportunities for for HR here to build robust and tailored, diverse and inclusive AI teams.
1: Okay. I accept that moving from siloed teams to cross-functional collaboration is an essential element, a second element in building a system. However, is team diversity really essential for the success of AI implementation? Let me be clear. I'm not talking about diversity of the workforce. We all know how powerful that is and how necessary that is. But do we really have to look at matching that diversity or bringing diversity for the teams that are actually doing the implementation?
0: Oh, yes. I think we need to do it more than ever, and and I'm going to explain why. The, the key to success is really to establish teams that are demographically and culturally diverse, and that could be true of any team, but it's even truer with AI because from data sets to decision making, there are many steps of AI prediction that absolutely need to be vetted by diverse and multidisciplinary teams, precisely because they are truly representative of the real world demographics. Human behavior is not very inclusive. Uh, human behavior becomes inclusive uh, deliberately when we give either you know, thought, we are realizing that we have to include other people and we should include other people and we should include other vantage point. So that's the same thing for AI. Uh, AI will not be inclusive unless it is deliberately developed to be inclusive. And the best solution for enabling this is actually to make sure that AI teams are diverse and that the data itself is diverse. So in the HR context, I'm gonna give you an example. If we do not do this work, if we do not do our due diligence of ensuring that diversity is, is present in AI teams, then an AI system could discriminate against protective categories of applicants and workers. And I'm I'm going to take uh, the example of AI-powered video recruiting, for instance. This is a very sensitive area. Biometric analysis bias may be induced by ineffective facial recognition software, and predictive inaccuracy may arise when speech analysis and facial analysis are performed on subjects with disabilities, for instance. And you can run into the same level of problems when it comes to using AI models trained for job applicant sourcing. So you really need to have at the table from end to end people who are representative of that diverse demographics and uh, diverse cultures also.
1: Valerie, I really understand the importance of diversity in so many aspects of what we do. And I think I can accept that it will have additional value within the team that's implementing the system. In fact, it may be essential, as you say. I would be careful, however, in implementing the technology, and you made reference to facial recognition and video interviewing. Video interviewing, in my judgment, is going to become ubiquitous. It already is very extensive. AI is definitely going to be used as part of the evaluation process, and the key isn't to reject that direction of the technology, but to really carefully scrutinize the vendors and make sure that they've taken into account the quality of the technology in the facial recognition process and accounted for disabilities. Valerie, with that behind us, as a third essential. What is meant by the terms AI ethics and applied ethics, which we represent could be a fourth essential in the adoption and deployment of AI-powered HR systems.
0: So, AI ethics is actually an integral part of AI governance. And AI governance is what addresses the ethical, legal, and regulatory challenges associated with AI. So AI ethics is concerned with the impact and the potential adverse effects of AI and automation on human beings, and particularly on vulnerable populations. And as we've discussed earlier, algorithms are not automatically bias-free and error immune and not every AI prediction can actually be fully explainable, which, which can be a problem. And that's why building an AI project on ethical safeguards is absolutely pivotal it actually protects the company and it, it elevates the performance of the algorithms and it protects the end user and the groups that are going at some point to be impacted by uh, the usage of um, of ai so the good news for companies is that they can leverage strategies that address ethical risk and i can think of several principles we've worked on that are especially relevant when AI-powered HR systems are involved, the first thing I would recommend is to focus on two very important concepts, transparency and explainability. So transparent and explainable AI really foster algorithmic performance, but it also fosters trust. Transparency, as you know, promotes the visibility of processes, the accessibility of systems, and also the reporting of meaningful information. So, it should be approached in terms of legal compliance, applied ethics, and system design. And we know by experience that every time we approach algorithms through transparency and explainability, and when we do it at the beginning of the process, this drives better design and a more thorough test proofing of systems. So, that's a very important point. The second angle, second angle of approach is focusing on designing fair AI systems. AI systems need to be designed in ways that prevent explicit and implicit algorithmic biases, which is not always easy to do. It's actually a complex task, but there are strategies that can foster that, and I cannot name them all here because it would take more time than we have for the podcast, but I can isolate at least four takeaways. The first one would be Make sure you build a multidisciplinary and diverse AI team that is also trained in AI ethics, so they can really ask the right questions and they can identify bias more rapidly than anybody else, if those bias ever comes up. Secondly, I would recommend to conduct an impact assessment at the earliest stage of the AI implementation. Third, make sure you audit the source, the quality, and the diversity of the data. And finally, I think that we all agree that regularly testing the AI system for fairness with the help of independent researchers is absolutely key to prevent bias and to also ensure uh, that the performance of uh, the algorithm is, is maintained.
1: I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, The Wall Street Journal in the uh, AI Pro publication that went online November 21st, 2019, focuses heavily on the potential existence of bias. In fact, I feel so strongly about this area that I would offer a fifth essential in building an AI system, and that is to anticipate the dark side of AI-powered HR systems and make it mandatory that as you go through the building process, Valerie, that you've described, there be a legal compliance review and testing at all phases of the system. Let me explain. We are really on the verge of an incredible wave of both regulations and legislation in the area of Algorithmic powered HR systems and the employment of AI generally. And you have to be aware of where that's going. In fact, to some extent, that is going to be helpful in answering questions about what to do with the implementation process. I would point, for example, to the uh, recent Illinois AI video interviewing statute, which uh, sets out a procedure whereby you give notice to the individual about the fact that AI is being used, you give an explanation of the key factors that are involved, you include consent, and then you set up a mechanism where they can retract the video on 30 days' notice if they wish to control the private personal information that they've effectively given to that interview. That's on the regulatory side. On the litigation side, we have now seen several threatened class actions alleging primarily discrimination and disparate impact. What that means is that the algorithm didn't directly sort out women or men or other categories that are protected age, but effectively, especially in machine learning where the algorithm is effectively looking on its own to some extent and not as necessarily tightly controlled by the code that uh, is launching it, there's a tendency to pick up characteristics that seem objective on their face but have the potential to be discriminatory. I'll give you two examples. The resumes That have employment gaps in them. If you put that in, as many companies do, as a primary consideration in evaluating the resume, women are 13 times more likely to be excluded under that process. And so it needs to be looked at. Another example the algorithm reads the successful personnel within your organization and identifies that three zip codes are especially associated with successful performance. It may turn out that those zip codes are in areas of relative affluence, and it automatically excludes a number of diverse candidates that no longer are considered. These are the things that have to be looked at. And for those who say, well, we've heard about these algorithmic class actions, biased class actions, but we haven't seen them, I have. announcement and that is that we now have several that have been filed. Probably one of the more significant ones was done in August of this year and uh, involved a fascinating set of characteristics. A large manufacturing company, which may have done everything properly, but nonetheless a pretty sophisticated employment council is alleging that a program specifically developed to help the company be more objective in selecting individuals for layoff, turns around and discriminates either intentionally or unintentionally against individuals that are within three years of vesting in their pension rights. And the argument is that effectively the algorithm was designed or indirectly became effective in disproportionately Sorting out people that are in that protected zone under ERISA where they can't be specifically targeted because of the time distance to uh, vesting in a particular area. There may be no truth in this, but it is a, a classic example of an advanced use of AI in the HR category and the application of a class action and the claim of a form of algorithmic bias based on age. In Michigan, both older and younger are covered, so there's an age issue to be looked at. And then there's an ERISA issue to be looked at. And I think this is just the very forefront of what's about to occur. But I want to emphasize again, these are allegations. But what's significant about this particular lawsuit is the sophistication with which it was put together even though there are a lot of problems for the plaintiff in that action, including the fact that there's been a sign of I would recommend that you need to understand not just some of the new areas with algorithmic bias, but look back to existing laws which may come into play, a disability statute, for example, and regulations dealing with the privacy and the whole range of HR compliance that we're commonly used to going through. To accomplish this, the placement of a legal compliance attorney on the team is, I think, very important, if not essential. This could be somebody from your legal department. It could be somebody from the outside. But I think you need that kind of attorney review in today's building of HR systems that are powered by AI because I think they are the next area of heavy litigation and review both through regulations and legislation. Another feature which, uh, Valerie, you made reference to is that it is really essential to test the results and build a recognition of legal compliance in both the planning of the AI system, the building of it, the implementation of it, and the functioning of it thereafter. And we strongly recommend looking at data analytics and testing the impact of whether there is discrimination against a particular category. One takeaway in this regard is to pay a lot of attention to the training data that is used in building the algorithm. And I'm going to look at that from two perspectives. One perspective is to make sure that the training is properly done and you're taking into consideration potential biases and accounting for them and adjusting. On the other hand, I'm going to be practical, and that is attorney-client privilege, which may protect certain functions that are going on, is not going to protect the underlying data. And it's increasingly possible that the court system is going to open that up and the result is going to be discovery. If you have carefully built your training data so that it teaches your particular circumstances, but is structured to avoid the type of bias and discrimination that we've listed, that's gonna be a far better sample to give than to give a learning sample of what might be actual data that hasn't gone through that level of scrutiny, even if you later put it through that scrutiny to make sure that the training is done properly. Again, we can't go into all the aspects of what's here. We've tried to give you five essentials. Are there five essentials? No, there's no set number, but five is a good starting point in looking at this area. I'm going to give you one incredibly valuable weapon that you can immediately use. And that is my colleagues, uh, Matt Shearer, Alan King, and Marco Merkinich, have just published a substantial 57-page article in the South Carolina Law Review, and it's available electronically. It was actually posted on October 30th of 2019, and it's entitled, Applying Old Rules to New Tools, employment discrimination law in the age of rhythms, and it really is helpful in laying out a comprehensive legal framework that weaves together the usually separate analysis of disparate treatment and disparate impact. So with that, Valerie, we really appreciate your attention. Yes and uh, hope that we've given you some practical suggestions and value and Valerie, I very much appreciate your involvement and the contributions you have made. Uh, You may have gotten your training in Europe, but it's extremely relevant today in what we're doing in Silicon Valley and throughout the United States and thereafter the world.
0: Well, thank you very much, Gary. It was really a pleasure to be your guest today. Thank you so much.